Hi everyone, I'm Megan, and welcome to Word Crash, the game show where questionable plots compete for your vote to win a place in the Word Crash Hall of Infamy. Let's meet our contestants. First, a fantasy and science fiction author with cyberpunk sensibilities, co-creator of Writer in Motion, and author of both Bloodflower and the Hidden Flame Artifact series, please welcome back to the show, KJ Harrowick. Ganora and hello. <laughs> Next, a veteran of the commercial film industry, she's written fiction, nonfiction, and even dabbled in musicals, the host of the Emerging Writers podcast series. Please welcome Casey Rogers. Hi, everyone. Well, nothing left to do but get to it. Let's play Word Crash. Perspective is a funny thing, and today we're flipping everything upside down. It's the heroes you know and love, but they're the villain. KJ, who's the villain this time? Matt Damon's character in the Adjustment Bureau. Okay, okay. Matt Damon is a villain. Not something we see often, but something we probably should. In the movie, he is the romantic lead. He is the hero. Mm -hmm. But watching it, I started to wonder if maybe he or the love interest is the villain. Mm. Well, one, politician. And he's a little too charming for a politician. Mm. Oh, he's got to be suspect of a charming politician. Young, handsome, you know, and you kind of got to wonder what's behind the smile, beside the loneliness. And the deeper you get into the movie, the more you realize that this enemy faction that he's running against, they don't want to give him time with the woman that he loves. Mm -hmm. And you got to start asking yourself, why? Are they really a bad faction? Are they a helpful faction? What has he done wrong that he needs to go on a different course? Okay. And so now that he's the villain, like, what direction is he going? As the villain, it's really about the self. You know, there's a phrase that says every villain is the hero of their own story. Mm -hmm. So to him, he just wants to be with this woman that he met he finds her charming and beautiful and there's a connection there a very deep connection but the powers that be or the adjustment bureau they do not want him to have this woman mm -hmm. so that's when you start asking why what is it that he's done what is it that he's not done what is it that happens when he has a relationship with this woman how does that change the way this bureau is attempting to help sort of watch humanity mature and grow mm -hmm. to a point where they don't have to be a part of their world anymore. At some point in this story, we're going to have to see Matt Damon's character do something off. Something that immediately indicates that he may look charming and be a good speaker and everything like that, but something is definitely off. So what is that first thing? He meets the woman for a second time on a bus and it's just a, a chance meeting, and she gives him her phone number, and then he gets it taken away. So he suddenly he has no way to get her phone number. All he knows about her is her first name. <laughs> Every day for three years, he takes the exact same bus at the exact same time trying to find this woman. Mm -hmm. Modern society, that is a stalker. Ooh. <laughs> a very obsessive stalker. <laughs> so, you know... That raises a lot of red flags right there. So we're going for like an obsessive thing. Yes. Okay. Hey, Casey, if you were going to have this character do something obsessive uh, about this woman, what, what other obsessive thing is he doing? Maybe he's stalking her online as well as stalking her through the bus. So anybody that he thinks might be her, he could go in different directions. And maybe he gets caught up with somebody that he thinks is her, but it's not her. And he ends up stalking the wrong person. And then we really get a view of like, oh, no, he's obsessed. He's, he's followed this girl around for two weeks and, and then finds out it's not her and he's mad. Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. You see him get a little angry. Yeah. Maybe he yells at the woman because we need that kick the cat moment. Right. That's yeah. Because, like, you know, a little bit of obsession, unfortunately, the, the culture that we're in, a little bit of that is like, oh, he must really care about her. But to really make it villainous, <laughs> he's mm -hmm. got to get angry. Mm -hmm. I like that. And he's got to feel foiled. KJ, how does he now react to this idea that there's people planning the world? It's interesting because that bothers him. Mm -hmm. 
especially on a personal level, but it's really the fact that they keep following him. He's trying to find this girl. They're trying to stop him. And they manipulate phone calls. They manipulated her injuring herself. She's a professional dancer. So, of course, you know, with ballet, you only have so many years that you can actually perform before your body kind of works against you. So when she gets injured, she thought that was the end of her career. But they just keep interfering with him to the point of causing car crashes and running people over. And he does. He gets mad. He gets angry. And he's mm-hmm. like, just leave me the hell alone. Let me find this girl. But when you look at it from an obsessive spin, how do we know they're not protecting her? Because she's supposed to become this world famous ballet dancer. And so her success is more important than his happiness, which makes sense. Her success is directly related to their inability to be together. So if they come together, he stops being a politician because he wants this good life, you know, with her. She stops dancing and starts teaching kids. But how do we know that she doesn't love teaching kids? Maybe she wants to be with him. Maybe she doesn't. And that's the thing is nobody ever really asks her opinion. It's just Matt Damon against this faction, all trying to control the pieces of his life and how they fit together on a personal level and also sort of on a global level or a species level. So let me get some clarification. When you say the personal level, everything being controlled, that is from the original also, right? That's from the actual movie also. Yeah. What kind of actions that once they're a villain looks horrific? You know, it's like, oh, they're the hero. This was great to do. But now that they're the villain, they're like, oh, oh, that's that's bad. Well, he seems to have a right hook for anybody that gets in his way. Mm. So, you know, he loses this political convention. So he's not a senator now. It got to this other guy and he goes out and punches some guy in a bar, gets mm-hmm. a big fight. And all along the way, every time a member of this faction gets in his way, he's throwing him around. He's punching him. So he's got a bit of a violent temper. Mm, yeah. And that plays way different when you mm-hmm. think they're already obsessed. Casey, what other negative thing could we throw on this obsessive and violent character? I think he has some really bad habits. He drinks a lot. Maybe he acts out so completely inappropriately. You have like a sweet, warm moment with like a puppy or a kitten. Maybe the kitten scratches him or something. So instead of just shaking it off, he becomes totally upset about this very minor thing. Yeah, I think that works. KJ, at some point, he has to really make headway into figuring out what this secret organization is. Do we change the character of that organization at all? Or do we leave it the same? Uh, There are several characters in the organization. And there's two of them that he interacts with primarily. It's interesting because it's not really him that makes that big decision for the climax and the finale. It's another member of the organization that comes up to him and says, look, I'm not supposed to be doing this, but here's some facts you need to know. And so they actually gave him the information. And it was only after that that he goes, "Okay, so how do we do this? You see the whole planning stage and all of a sudden he's got a hat like the the Adjustment Bureau dudes do. He's got a map of all the different doors that are portals and where they go and where they come out and which ones are dead ends. So they use the weather and all of these things to help him just get into this courthouse where she's now about to get married to somebody else. And that's the new villain version, right? That's the actual plot. Yeah, I I don't even have to put villain stuff in it. It's from the actual plot. So once you change the perspective, I mean, you really do see him as the villain. Absolutely. Because you know what? Someone's (laughs) getting married. What could you possibly know from whatever that chance encounter was Mm -hmm. that gives you the right to go interrupt somebody's marriage? That's that's a lot of ego. And if we're talking about this kind of villainous, violent guy who became emotionally and uh, psychologically manipulated by being a senator and stuff that's cast that in a totally different light Mm -hmm. i'd like to see one change though i'd like to see him intimidate someone into giving him this information instead of it just coming to him 
Before it comes to him, he does intimidate somebody, one of the other faction members. He keeps trying to ask him why. What is it about me and this woman that you feel like you have to step between us? What changes? What doesn't? And he does. He becomes rather intimidating, angry, obsessed with getting this information out. And all he gets out of the guy is she'll end up not becoming world famous because of you, because you're in her life. Mm. You know, so even that is feels like a manipulation of an obsessive. It's it's still really not enough information to make a judgment call on his own life or this woman's. Yeah, it's already dark. It's already problematic. Like even <laughs> thinking about and this I really plot. I want you to watch it because it is a good movie. <laughs> this is what happens when we think about plots, right? Yeah. We find out, oh, that's problematic. Oh, uh, rational people shouldn't act this way. But it's fun. KJ, how does this actually end? I know you want me to watch it, but we got to yeah. do this. How does it end? And that the same ending we want if he's the villain. Well, in the end, he gets the girl. You know, she goes along with him for the ride. And the guy that's basically running the plan, mm -hmm. he decides to change it. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, it's not really about him. It's about testing him and testing the Adjustment Bureau workers. Mm -hmm. And they made the whole thing like just a test of personality and how far people will go to just make one true decision for themselves that doesn't have any influence from anybody else. I felt like he wasn't really the hero because he didn't find the information to take action. And then at the end, he didn't change anything at all. It was this deity that actually changed it. I mean, it's to allow him to have something that he wants. So it's basically deus ex machina. Yeah. The god has declared that love shall survive. And she's just along for the ride, like, you know, mm -hmm. not even going to worry about the guy I left at the altar or the judge's room. Mm. Yeah, that doesn't <laughs> give her a lot of agency in her own life. She really didn't have a lot of agency in the movie. Mm. Now, don't get me wrong. I absolutely love it. I think it's a sweet romance. But, you know, when you pick apart the other side, it does become very problematic on a lot of levels. If he's the villain... We can't let him get the girl, right? It depends. See, I knew you were going to say know? it depends. I'd be like, of course you can't let the villain get the girl. But then I realized <laughs> who I'm talking to. But think about the character arc. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, this isn't about growth for him. This is sort of a descent. So it's a backtrack. Just like you have villain origin stories that show the pathway that sort of got them from really good people just trying to make a difference to big jerks basically mm -hmm. the story of poison ivy you know she was a brilliant scientist and then she started killing men because they were all jerks so i'm trying not to swear and it sounds really <laughs> it sounds really awkward <laughs> coming from me <laughs> if, if you um, have to you have to i'll save it for when it's really appropriate <laughs> if we're gonna have the villain get the girl at the end we need to tell people what happens after this, right? Well, he wins the girl, but what else does he win? You know, he's ignoring his campaign for political race. Even if he won that, who's to say he's not going to turn out like every other politician? You know, self-absorbed, obsessed asshole, well, basically. Why don't we just go whole hog on that and say he marries her, but this experience makes him basically a megalomaniac. Then he becomes president and then he builds power and then there's a war or something. And you just know that this whole experience has made him terrible and he should never have had it. And if he's that obsessed with being with her when he barely knows mm -hmm. her, what's going to happen when it's five, ten years down the road? They're in marriage. They've got kids and she's still dancing, mm -hmm. you know, and when she dances, it's not alone. She's got partners mm -hmm. and, you know, she has other men's mm -hmm. hands all over her who's not to say she... He's going to completely go off his rails mm. there. Absolutely. Casey, if you're going to put a twist at the end of this mm -hmm. to spice it up a bit, what twist would you put at the end? I would do something about her identity and maybe he's actually married her twin sister. Ooh. In the end, he can't really beat them. They just have to make him think that he won. Yeah. 
You know, she's got an identical twin sister. And the entire time that he's been married to this woman, he really isn't married to her. And it just proves that it wasn't really about her. It was about his desire to possess her. And who knows, maybe yeah. this entity that's making everything happen is a malevolent entity and has done this strictly to push him over the edge because they mm-hmm. want the world mm. to fall apart. It's time for Secret Sauce, where our authors share a tip or technique they use to keep the creative juices flowing. Casey, what's your tip or trick? I have a technique that I learned about recently And it's called the care package. And it's when you're trying to develop a character that is complex, but you want your reader to understand and care about the character, but you give them a situation that the readers are going to react to emotionally Mm -hmm. And give your character kind of the benefit of the doubt. So you can have a character that kind of is veering off and might not seem very likable. But because you've established something about them in the very beginning that shows rather than tells your reader that they are really a good character it helped to break up some of the maybe negative aspects of your character. Okay, can you give me an example? One of the things that I had to do when I wrote my memoir was I didn't want my husband, who is in the memoir, to come across as a total jerk. Because <laughs> he wasn't. Even though some of the things that happened would paint him that way. So I tried to find moments that could be categorized as care packages when he was interacting with other people that showed the compassionate side. And one of the things that I had was years ago when we had a home in Pennsylvania, we found four kittens in the backyard. And One of the most endearing things was he wasn't a big cat person, but, you know, he spent hours helping me feed these little tiny kittens with bottles that were just so tiny to keep them alive. So showing somebody as being caring, as opposed to telling your reader about that, gives the reader a better understanding of the whole of the character rather than making them kind of a flat character. So this is all about establishing that a character cares about things or establishing why a reader should care about the character? I think it's a little bit of both. It's about showing that the character that you're writing about is multidimensional and that they have the capacity to care about things And that gives you permission to care about them. I like it. One thing, you know, in my book, it's amazing to me that the characters that some people decide to latch on (laughs) to, because I have, you know, I personally have very clear ideas about who the hero is, who the villain is, which perspective is objectively the correct one, because I know what's going on in the world. But other people don't. I give people who are ostensibly the villains certain scenes where they... Well, because they're human. I give them scenes that make them human. <laughs> and I didn't realize what I was doing at the time because people were now like, oh, no. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, that's not the villain. And I'm like, so who's the villain in this story? And they're like, I don't know. But mm-hmm. but they're all at odds. Yeah, they're all at odds. But I, I, I don't think they're the villain, are they? And I'm like, well, I, I can't say. Right? I get it. It also makes heroes and villains less cartoony. Mm-hmm. It's not a shorthand yes. for a person. Because you need something to fill the plot, it becomes a character that has motivations that acts. Yeah. Cool. Exactly. KJ, have you ever used anything like that? Yeah. I had said earlier, every villain is the hero of their own story. Mm-hmm. And when you're working with a villain, you do have to plot out their timeline like they are the hero. Why are they acting this mm-hmm. way? 
what justification comes out at the end. Like in my book, Bloodflower, Eli is painted from the get-go as a villain. And in a lot of ways, he does very villainous acts. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, he's really trying to honor his brother's memory. You know, he lost his brother when he was too young and his life was ripped away and transformed into something he hates. And he still sort of wants to get revenge or some kind of vengeance for his brother to say, I don't care what happened. What you did was wrong because it robbed me of this entire life I could have had. And instead, now I'm trapped under this dictatorship. I'm in this military unit I don't want to be a part mm-hmm. of. So you really do have to paint them as the hero and go, okay, at the end of the day, at the end of the story, how could I make the reader kind of question, okay, really, who is the villain here? Because they both have good and bad traits. It's mm-hmm. just the stories told from different perspectives, and you have to kind of pick a side. Mm-hmm. KJ, what's your tip or trick to stay creative? Honestly, I like taking time away from writing and watching TV shows, movies, reading in other mediums, and seeing what the plots really look like. When you're writing your story and you're thinking about structure and you're thinking about, okay, there's certain beats that I got to hit, but are they justified the way that I've spun them? If you start really looking at other mediums, you can spot when romantics meet each other. You can spot hooks, especially on TV shows. They're always trying to do a hook. And honestly, the best that I've seen is The Flight Attendant. If anybody hasn't seen it, it's a great show. But the hooks at the end of each episode, it's it's terrible. I, <laughs> I went through a season and a half in like two days. <laughs> But once you do that, when you start picking apart movies or even just cartoons or, you know, long time running shows, you can start looking at, okay, I'm watching this 1980s show that I used to love as a kid. Does it still stand on its own in this modern culture? How would I do it differently? Is the premise good or does the premise get muddled behind an A-list actor who kind of hammed it up a bit? There's a lot of different things to look at. And then once you sort of pick those apart and start understanding where they're at, you can go back to your story and suddenly you look at the synopsis or the structure and you're like, this is all wrong. Or, hey, I got this right, but I need to move this here, here, and here. Mm -hmm. So I just find it really, really helpful, especially just getting that structure down. Because once you're that's down, the rest of it, you can just start filling in, fleshing out. KJ, you're not the first person to say, go experience other media. I've heard that a lot. Do you have a particular favorite? I thought Avatar was brilliant. Not just because it was a true science fantasy and James Cameron always does excellent work, but even after I'd seen it a few times and then I'd really learned a craft as a writer, I went back and watched it again. And all of a sudden it was like I could see all those threads that the author was pulling and it starts strong. You're inside the head of the main character. You'd see him waking up from hypersleep, so you know they're in space. And it's just every little step along the way. It starts with a small battle. It's very personal. He just wants to wake up, and then he wants to get on the planet, and then he has to go through orientation. But by the end of the movie, everything just keeps getting bigger and bigger. The way it was orchestrated, it really brings viewers into this world that Cameron has built and into the world of the Navi and how they conflict with humans and even into the world of the humans and seeing how they interact with each other, where the villainy lies and who's really trying to be helpful. And it's just, I don't know. I just thought it was so well done. I mean, I loved the movie itself, but I just thought the way that they orchestrated pulling viewers bit by bit into this world was brilliant. Now for me, it would be Babylon 5. It's just something that inspires me, and I've watched it through the entire series multiple times. It's to the point where people who read Chromaspace say, hey, you were a fan of Babylon 5, weren't you? And I'm like, yes, I was. (laughs) I didn't know I took that much from it, but that's what people say. Casey, do you have a a favorite piece of media you go back to? I tend to go more towards comedy. I watch a lot of shows like Seinfeld and 
Cheers and Frasier over and over and over again. (laughs) And what I find is that there are a lot of reworking of the same storylines in a different setting. For example, it seems like the show Frasier Mm -hmm. uses and reworks a lot of the plots that happened in Seinfeld. Interesting. So you can see these threads. They're kind of riffing off of something that happened in these earlier TV shows and almost like repurposing Mm -hmm. it with the characters in a different comedy. So I find that really interesting because there are no new stories, but you can rework the old ones and make them just as funny with different characters and different motivations. I have watched a lot of Star Trek and Star Wars and things of that nature, but those were more oriented towards other people in my household. It's okay. We all have different things that inspire us, and that's perfectly fine. KJ and I happen to both share Mm -hmm. sci-fi as a genre. Hearing you guys talk about it, though, you make me really interested in it. I'm like, what am I missing that this isn't something that I'm checking out more? But now I'm kind of thinking, gee, I don't think I ever saw the movie Avatar. And the way you described it, KJ, I'm like, (laughs) what did I miss? I have to go see this. (laughs) Yeah. James Cameron spent years in the Marianas Trench around the Titanic. So he took all of that inspiration being underwater And that's what fed into Avatar. I totally respect that. So now I'm going to have to go check it out. (laughs) Well, from your lips to our listeners' ears, hopefully they'll check out all of our books. Yes, Yes. absolutely. Break out your thesaurus and grab your red pen because it's time for Drop It. In this game, we ask our contestants to drop a single letter from the title of a book or movie and tell us what the new plot is. Casey, what letter is getting the axe today? P for Pitch Perfect. We've got Itch Perfect. <laughs> I'm I'm getting visions of John Ick all over again. <laughs> I was like, I wonder if I can use John Ick again. <laughs> but that's a brilliant Itch Perfect. I have seen Pitch Perfect. KJ, have you seen Pitch Perfect? Yes. Okay. I'm going to assume that the people at home have seen Pitch Perfect, too, because it was pretty huge. So we don't need any explanation. Casey, what? Why are they itching? (laughs) So the acapella group get on the bus to go to a concert and they break Mm -hmm. down and they have no place to use the restroom. So they must go into the woods. Oh, no. And unfortunately, there's a lot of poison (laughs) ivy. And they find themselves trying to relieve all these itches and perform at the same time. So they become very creative in their dance moves and the way that they're choreographing things to satisfy these problems in a very creative way. Okay, so they're still singing, and they still have this competition to do. How does Mm -hmm. this itchiness change how they get to the concert? Well, the bus driver can barely contain himself because he gets the worst case of poison ivy. So does that mean somebody else has to drive? I think that the perfect candidate would be Fat Amy. Okay. The character Fat Amy takes control because she's the only one that didn't go into the woods. So she is able to navigate to the concert, Mm -hmm. but by the time they Mm -hmm. get there, all of the other girls have a massive problem on their hands because they so desperately want to win this competition. Mm -hmm. And the only way that they can do it is either suppress their desire to scratch Mm -hmm. or to incorporate it 
into their creative movement. And that's what they choose to do. I can see Amy just being like, are you kidding me? I'm not going out there and decides to do something that everyone else thinks is so gross. What do you mean? That's a rock over there. People can see you. I don't care. I'm not going to the woods. And she turns out to be right. I remember from Pitch Perfect, there was a lot of drama around the the choreography. They had a, a lot of snooty choreographers with their jazz hands, right? That was jazz hands? Mm-hmm. Who saves them with this new choreography that scratches that itch? I think it's the one that's so quiet. And I think she saves everyone because she has a tendency to be more expressive, mm-hmm. to compensate for her inability to verbalize things. Maybe she's the one that gives them insight about how they can incorporate their itchy choreography, satisfying the scratch, Mm -hmm. over-the-top stuff, but make it seem like it's part of the show. Now, everyone's going to have all these like red and itchy, blotchy skin everywhere. They're not going to look great. I almost see a makeup scene where they're trying to cover Mm -hmm. it all with makeup. And they just come out looking orange Mm -hmm. because they bought like a giant tub of concealer. Mm -hmm. How do I look? And they're like, like a pumpkin. (laughs) KJ, what other scene could you see with them trying to deal with the itch? My first question was, okay, who in this group is allergic to poison ivy? Because I can tell you right now, if you have somebody with an allergic reaction to it, they are going to swell up like a balloon. So I'm curious who that would be and what the weather is. Because if they're on a bus and it's like 110 degrees outside and they're trying to get to this thing and everybody's itchy and mm-hmm. they're sweaty, you know, I, I, so I kind of see all of this playing together and just causing upheaval, you know, people dousing themselves with ice water or, um, mm-hmm. yeah. What's that pink stuff? Calamine that they lotion. Put, uh- yeah, the cal. Yeah, yeah. You do. I don't know that we yeah. want to have a scene involving calamine lotion. But a bunch mm. of pink kids or <laughs> college girls all pink. Uh, I don't know. A bunch of college girls slathering each other and their itchy bits with calamine lotion is not really the show that we're writing right now. That's a totally different movie. I'm wondering who's taking Benadryl and slurring their singing all the way oh, through the competition that's fantastic Ooh, yeah because if you're allergic yeah, you've got to have a great idea. Well, so the bus breaks down and they're all itchy and that's whatever mm-hmm. but then it becomes life-threatening when somebody starts blowing up maybe it's mm-hmm. the bus driver mm-hmm. right he gets all blown up that's why he can't drive and so now it becomes mm-hmm. amy's job to drive them is amy a good driver no 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 okay no, of course not. Serviceable. No. Serviceable. We'll get them yes. there alive. I can see, you know, <laughs> mailboxes being run over, tricycles being squished. But they get there and they get to the hospital and all the girls, they're like, can you give us something? Can you give us something? It, it itches so bad. And the doctor's like, no, sorry, you'll have to live with it. It'd have to be a country doctor, though. Oh, yeah. It really would. One where he's the only one for the whole town. Mm-hmm. And I say that because if they walk into a hospital, obviously somebody's going to give them something because mm-hmm. they have to take care of patients. But if it's one person and he's already got somebody else that's, you know, giving birth or it's one of those doctors slash vets. So he's, you know, helping the cow <laughs> have a baby and can't help with the itchies. <laughs> I, yeah, I love it. No, in Pitch Perfect, they compete against a lot of other groups. One of them should also have a problem. We've got to put this on even playing fields. Let's say this is the, the worst luck ever. What happens to one of the other groups that make them appreciate that all that happened to them is that they're itching? I think you could go back to the orange. They all decided to tan up as part of their, oh, their thing. Yeah. And they all turned out like brownish, orange, looking half desiccated. And one, one slaps the other. See? See? It was never going to work. It was never going to work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Okay, I I think we can get to the part everyone who's been listening has been waiting for. What are some of these dance moves? I would imagine that most of their choreography has to be very rapid, that there's no slow movement. 
because when you have a really bad Mm. itch, you're desperate to get it scratched. So a lot of the choreography has to do with very rapid kind of movements, but like a lot of tap dancing, a lot of jazz moves, and a lot of improv, I guess. KJ, what's one improvised move that you think would help on the dance floor? It would have to be from Janet Jackson's control video where she's got her arms out to the side and scratched the person next to you. I can see them trying to, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's perfect. Back to back? Yes. 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 Wiggling against each other. Mm Mm-hmm. I think that's perfect. (laughs) Maybe some floor work. Nice cool floor. Do some rolling. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Some break dancing. Mm -hmm. Yes. Mm -hmm. Or even to cool off, because sometimes ice will really help with that itch. So if the floor is nice and cold, then they'll definitely mm-hmm. not want to get up. They'll want to keep doing the dance like on the floor. And maybe mm-hmm. part of their set is they get sprayed with water. <gasps> oh, they, yeah. they start spraying each yeah. other with water. Instead of having fire and pyrotechnics, they're all hydrotechnics. Some of those big squirt guns, the ones that hold lots and lots of water. <laughs> they can bring those out on stage and squirt each other. You've got me thinking now. That all of this could be a war story in dance, right? And and you know they're they're doing the little crawl thing, and and people are shooting their guns at each other, and it's the water, and they're grabbing people out of the way, and it's all itching everything, and yeah, it could be a beautiful story of the tragic events of some battle in World War Two, and the judges are just like, oh, it is so beautiful, <laughs> yeah. I definitely see it. They win the competition. And unlike the real movie, we can't just live happily ever after. They have to have their final solution to the itching. They all get Benadryl because they notice the bus driver at the end is feeling better. The swelling's gone down and he's kind of acting drunk, but Mm -hmm. he's not itching anymore. So they all decide to get a bunch of Benadryl. And next thing you know, they're all slurring their words and kind of acting half drunk. Yes. Who's going to (laughs) drive? Oh, mm-hmm. and of course, Amy took it anyways. Well, I didn't want you to go alone. Yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, they mix alcohol with the Benadryl, and it gets really interesting. Mm. They're not supposed to be drinking, and they're not supposed to be doing all these other things. So they win the competition, but they all get in trouble when they get back. So then they have to go on and prove themselves for the next movie. Because it was behavior unbecoming of champions. Yes. So they'll have to do some kind of community service. Mm -hmm. Yes. And the twist at the end is that their community service involves trimming hedges and cutting down stuff. (laughs) And guess what? This time it's poison oak. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And there it is, people. Itch perfect. It really gets under your skin. Yeah. (laughs) Absolutely. Before we go, it's time to give our authors a chance to talk about what's new and exciting in their lives. Casey, what's new and exciting in your life? I am finishing up my novel called The Color of Frost, and I'm very excited about it. I'm at a point where I have maybe about another month of editing, and then I'm going to be promoting it. That's really exciting for me. It's the first full-length novel that I've written. Most of my work is nonfiction. I'm really excited about it. I think it's an interesting story, and I hope people can relate to it. So without giving away the plot or anything, can you tell me a little about it? What genre is it? Sure. I would say that it's maybe women's literature. It's a story that takes place in 1974, which is very similar to what we're experiencing right now. In that time period, there was the resignation of a disgraced president, Richard Nixon. There was high inflation. There was a war. There were lots of protests, a gas shortage. And it was also a time where women were just starting to get a lot of rights. Mm -hmm. 
it was the year before Roe v. Wade, or the year after Roe v. Wade, I mm-hmm. should say. My main character is thrust into this life crisis, and she has to cope with a lot of very difficult things when she finds a series of letters from somebody that used to live in her apartment. And the letters kind of almost give her a roadmap out of her situation. That sounds very fascinating from a fascinating point in time. You said this is your first novel. What have you written that's not a novel? I wrote a memoir called Our Better Selves from Secrets and Lies to Healing and Forgiveness. The main theme of the memoir is about how I had to cope with a devastating situation that taught me a lot about Mm self-love and caring for somebody that was very ill. About 10 years ago, my husband became very ill and I had to care for him. The relationship was on its way out to begin with. And it also deals with a lot of like very difficult issues, one of which was experiencing a lot of financial abuse, verbal abuse, gaslighting, those kinds of things, and finding it within myself to care for the man that I had been married to for 25 years as he went through this very, very devastating illness. And that was my first full-length book published by Indies United in 2021 in April of last year. Well, it sounds like it's a very powerful story and definitely something that needs to be written about. Thank you. I'm very proud of it. It was a work that was very difficult to write, but so many of the people that have read it, they can relate to the story on a level that I never expected because a lot of the people have experienced maybe not identical things to what I experienced, Mm -hmm. but they've experienced similar aspects of what I went through. And it's helped them confront their own situation and try to heal from it. Now, just a quick minute, if we could go back to the color of frost. So would you say this is a a period piece or historical fiction? It's hard to think of it as a historic piece because it's 50 years ago. But in some ways, yeah, I think it is. It was a very different time period, even though there were a lot of similarities. Mm -hmm. And mainly because women did not have the same rights that they have now. And my main character is really a reflection of the progress that's been made. I'm hoping to give the readers a perspective of the struggle and how far we've come by seeing what the reality was back then. That was the time of the Vietnam War. And before the Vietnam War, most women weren't allowed to do things like go to medical school because there were so many men that were overfighting the war. Colleges started allowing women to be admitted to medical programs because they needed students. Mm-hmm. And that's the reason why women were allowed into these programs. My character is a pastry Mm -hmm. chef. Most women weren't allowed into the kitchen of restaurants. I tried to set my story in a place or a time period where women were just starting to get a lot of rights, but they weren't there Mm -hmm. yet. And they were Mm -hmm. still struggling to achieve equality because I think it's very, very easy to forget how much things have changed. Women weren't allowed to get credit cards then. Women couldn't get a Mm -hmm. loan Mm -hmm. without a man Mm co-signing. That was only 50 years ago. So life has changed a great Mm -hmm. deal. 
but there's a lot at stake mm-hmm. with what's going on in our society right now. So it's a reflection of this time period that wasn't that far back, but a lot of people can remember that far back because mm-hmm. they're not that old. Yeah. That's my main character and her character arc. When do you think this is going to be available? It's set uh, to be published October 5th. Yeah. Fantastic. If people want to find you on the internet, where can they go? I have a website called CaseyRogers.com. I have my own podcast called the Emerging Writer Series Podcast. They can check me out there. It's on Stitcher and a lot of other podcast platforms. Indies United, Publishing House. I have a page there. So those are all places that people can find me. I do have an author's page on Facebook that I don't use very often, but I'm there. <laughs> so those are places, but I think the best place is my website, caseyrogers.com. And I'm sorry we don't have time to talk about your podcast tonight. That's okay. Full disclosure to everyone, I have appeared on Casey's podcast, and I had a great time. So be sure to check that out. KJ, what's new and exciting in your life? I'm struggling to write. <laughs> no, Bloodflower came out and it did great. And then we put out an anthology called This Wicked Darkness through Portal World. So, you know, people could kind of get a taste of all of our different styles and personalities, which you could still get in paperback. And then my short story, Light Beyond the Glass, which is a prequel to Bloodflower, is up on digital. It's on Amazon for 99 cents. I'm trying to write Iron Star, the second one in the series. It is in progress, but it's just taking a lot longer than normal. I've been reading a lot of space horror, and I'm really, really wanting to lean that way. <laughs> I mean, the story does lean that way, but I just, I've been dying to write a space horror story, get something really creepy out there. Gee, you like space horror. Is it shocking? <laughs> shocking. <laughs> Absolutely shocking. Who, who would have thought? Who would have thought? Have thought. <laughs> Give me a derelict starship and some creepy <laughs> ass like space dogs in there and I am there. <laughs> Fantastic. What is Writer in Motion? Aha. So Writer in Motion started from a conversation with a couple of writers and editors about how could we show people what it's really like to write a novel. Mm -hmm. You know, it's not just vomiting up a bunch of words, doing a quick, you know, copy edit, and then you throw it on Amazon. That's not the way it works. We wanted to use a framework that would be easy to follow. So we used a short story framework. Mm -hmm. And Writer in Motion is a five-week project. We still haven't scheduled the next one. It's, it's on the calendar to schedule it. But basically, our editor, Jenny Chappelle, she puts up a prompt, usually an image. And from that, any writer can join and they just get inspired by the prompt and write a short story. You know, and it can be any genre. We've had space cows. We've... <laughs> You know, we've had contemporary romances, we've had erotic shorts, I, we have all across the board, and it's such a wonderful opportunity because writers not only get a chance to write a thousand-word short story and work with other writers on it, but you blog about the process. Ooh. And that's where the, the real magic comes is, you know, you you blog about your anticipation before it starts mm-hmm. and then your response to the... Um, the prompt image and then you know the next week you kind of talk about your struggles and at what it took to get those words on the page and how much you hate them usually (laughs) and so every week is kind of a different thing you know so you get a week where you work with a critique partner you get a week a week where you get to work with an editor and we usually have quite a few editors who volunteer and then you have a final product So from the very beginning, you're posting this very, very rough draft. And then at the end, you're posting this final copy that's completely changed, but you still see the heart of the story there. It's been a really great experience. We've done four seasons. Jenny and I haven't yet blocked out the time, but we need to talk about a fifth season. And we've got an absolutely wonderful team that works with us, and they help support the writers, and they help 
encourage them and get them started if they're struggling to get their story sort of on the page. And it's just, it's just like a looking glass into what it really takes to take that story from that first spark of an idea to a finished product. That's incredible. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. And there's a lot of talent out there. A lot. Absolutely. So KJ, if people want to find you on the internet, where can they go? You can go to my website. It's kjherowick.com. Or you can find me anywhere on social media at KJ Harrowick. I'm also on the Writer in Motion site. You can find links there. And most days, I'm just here trying to figure out my next move. <laughs> so, Aren't we all? Yes. <laughs> so which pitch deserves a place in the Word Crash Hall of Infamy? Was it the Adjusted Adjusted Bureau or Itch Perfect? You tell us, tweet us at Word Crash Game and vote for your favorite story of the night. If you're listening on YouTube, remember to like and subscribe and get in those comments to tell us how you would tackle our questions today. Everything we talked about will be in the links below. Thank you for listening. I'm Megan, and this has been Word Crash, reminding you to always get creative.